Hi everyone, it's Carrie Beach and welcome to another episode of the Traveling Pony Podcast. I'm really excited for you guys to hear from our guest this week, which is Riley Potevent. I might have said that wrong, but I did try. (laughs) Riley offers a very unique perspective that I think most of us are not going to see too often. In this podcast, she talks a little bit about her junior career, being a working student and all of that, but also going from being an AMI to a professional and then later on going back to an AMI status. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. I will admit the audio can be a little bit weird at times. It just was not recording as nicely as uh, Zencaster has recorded before, so I do apologize for that. I will definitely try and figure that out for the next podcast and hopefully have that resolved. But I hope you guys enjoy this episode and let me know your thoughts. I'm really excited for you guys to be able to hear it. Thank you so much for taking some time today out of your schedule to come on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to sitting down and talking with you today because I feel like you're going to be able to offer multiple sides to some of these questions that I'm going to ask you. So again, thank you so much, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Who are you, and where are you currently located? I am an adult amateur rider based out of Atlanta. You have had a unique opportunity to experience both sides of this industry as not only an adult amateur, but also previously as a young pro. Tell me a little bit about your experiences. When did you decide to turn pro and why? So I turned pro right after college. Uh, If it was up to me, I probably would have done it fresh out of high school. But, you know, our uh, Southern parents are very determined to get us through school. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) So it's something that I had dreamed of since I was probably like 10 or 11. I was like, I'm told my parents, I want to be a cowgirl someday. And then, of course, you grow up a little bit, you get through high school and you see people like Lily Keenan and uh, Sid Shulman and Jeffrey Hasslink. They were like the big riders that I would uh, aspire to. And basically, after seeing their success through all the big act and everything, I was like, I want to go pro and I want to have that level of success and training and whatnot. So it was something I kind of decided a few years out, but uh, definitely fought my parents on going to college. But the situation that I'm in now makes me very grateful that I did. <laughs> Definitely. No, I get that. I fought my parents a ton on going to college and we finally settled down on me doing online college. And I went to a college or I did college through something up in Canada for an equine degree or something because they were like, I want you to go to college. And I was like, no, I want to do horses. Like who needs a college degree? (laughs) You don't think you need it all that much anymore, but it's actually very helpful if you do get stuck in a uh, a normal person job like myself. Yeah, definitely. So did you decide to kind of turn pro during your junior years? Or was it something that came up a little bit later on? Like, I know that you said that if it was your choice, you would have turned pro right away after high school. Did you then turn pro like right when you got out of college? Or did you have some time in between? So I went pro straight after college. Like, I think I graduated early to mid-May, and I started my job. Well, I can even remember the start date. I started on my grandma's birthday, so June 3rd out in Houston. So talking about Houston, your first position after college was a show barn in Texas. 
Rufino Houston now. Tell me a little bit about you, how you found this position, and what was it like stepping into a different program, right? It's so different, you know, I think anywhere you go, the programs are going to be different depending on who you're riding with, what level of trainer. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the social media world's a funny one. Mm-hmm. I ended up meeting a lot of people through Twitter. Okay. And one of these girls was out of Houston, and half of my family lives in Texas, up in Tyler. So I loved Texas out of the gate. So I was looking there, and I reached out to her for some recommendations on some farms. And if you don't know, Houston is, I believe, the fourth biggest city in the nation. So there's a lot of places to look. And so she helped me narrow it down a bit. I just searched through websites and just started reaching out to different farms and whatnot. Houston wasn't the only place I was looking. I also found a few farms in Wellington and had some interviews there too. Yeah, I drove out to Houston, spent some time with my friend out there, had a few different riding interviews and just ended up settling on the job that I picked after a few weeks of being home and contemplating all the decisions that I had to make. So what was it like stepping into a different program then? So I honestly was a little bit comfortable with going into a new program because something about me, I've always been the lesson kid or the groom Mm -hmm. or the like the barn rat working student kind of job. And uh, so I attended two different colleges, Kennesaw State and then University of Georgia. And so because of that, I was relocated into different farms and you kind of learn the first questions to ask when you walk in, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like, hey, what do you do with tails here? So, um, <laughs> and uh, people actually learn to really appreciate that you asked that question instead of just jumping into what you assume is correct. Definitely. I was pretty used to it. And it was even more different as when I started, my boss wasn't there. She was away at a horse show. They were in Kentucky for a little bit and then they went over to try on. So my first five weeks I started and I had 18 horses and all of the remaining clients in summer camps and lessons all to myself. Wow, that that would be a lot for anybody, even just having like somebody like over you, but just stepping into it. Wow, I would probably have like a m- little mini heart attack or something. Oh, I, I, I did. I had many. It was great. And I still had to finish my, uh, my last college class while I was there for the first month. And it was uh, unfortunately the hardest one I'd had to take in our business school. So that was awesome. But I basically, I got a notebook of information on all the horses and what bits they used and what saddles they used. And just like a brief synopsis of what the clients did, what they were working on, I was sent the vet's phone numbers, farrier's phone numbers, all the clients' numbers. And I would just hop on phone calls with my boss every day for the first couple of weeks and wow. give her the rundown. The Also, the huge downside of Houston, it's really, really hot. So I would start my mornings at 4 a.m. And... Oh, yeah. And I would ride probably like granted, you have a guy that does the stalls and like the landscaping and, you know, up up keeps the facility. He also did the turnout, thankfully, but no grooms. I was the groom and I was the assistant trainer and I was the rider. So I would manage to knock out like eight to 10 horses between four and 11 a.m. And 11 was pushing it when you could stop and just because it got so hot. Yeah. And so I kind of learned to do like make my own program of sorts go inside, eat lunch, take a nap, do some schoolwork. And then once 7 or 8 p.m. rolled around, all the adult amateurs would come up from downtown from their big world jobs and take lessons. And I'd finish riding whatever I needed to do, be done by 10 or 11 p.m., go to bed and start over in the morning. Jeez, that's so different from like around here. I mean, it gets hot in Georgia, but gosh, I can only imagine. I'm one of those people that 
like if I have something to do and it needs to be done, I've got to knock it all out. I can't do it where it's like you do a ton in the morning and you've just got nothing. Like I would totally fall asleep or something. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, totally. I mean, I, cause I'm that same way too. Right. Cause I'm from here, but then I didn't realize it gets to 115 degrees with humidity wow. here by like 10 or 11 AM. So like I was just forced to stop because you would overheat there was one morning, like, I'm not a breakfast eater, and I didn't mm-hmm. eat breakfast, but I would drink coffee, drink whatever, and one morning, I started seeing black spots, and I was about to black out because I was so oh. hot, and I didn't realize it, and so it just, one of those things that just kind of forces you to stop. Yeah, it sounds like it. Jeez. Now, I don't feel so bad about, like, Georgia's heat in the summertime thing, because you could probably, like, even this past year when it got hot, like, we could you know, still ride a horse at, I don't know, 12 or one. And you weren't going out there and like doing an intense ride or anything, but you could still do it. I mean, I had some people or I knew people too, still riding their horses like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Like you weren't going to put the longest ride on, but you could still get it done. But geez, I can only imagine. That sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) It was rough. It definitely took a long time to get used to it. And it's funny now that I haven't been there for three years. Atlanta's hot. I'm like, man, how did I last in Houston for as long as I did? I know. I'm much more of a summertime person, but even then it's like with these temps changing nowadays, I'll go outside and, you know, it's like 40 or 50 in the morning here and it'll be 70 something during the day. And I'm like, why does it feel so hot? I mean, it used to be like 90 something degrees and then 70s at night. And I'm over here like 70 degrees is going <laughs> to, I'm going to over. I know. <laughs> I was at the Braves game last night and I saw that it was going to get to like 60. I'm like, oh man, at least I have jeans on. I'm going to be cold. Oh, I'm the same way. I do not do any type of cold weather. So I know that you got an injury during some point of time that forced some things to change in your life. Was that during your time in Texas? Yeah. So I had my first job there from June of 2018 through May of 2019. And then I relocated 15 minutes down the road to another job. Mm -hmm. We were in Kentucky for five weeks, the two weeks before Pony Finals, and then Pony Finals week and then two weeks afterwards. And it was just kind of like a freak accident kind of thing there. And then we came home and then just it forced me to not be able to ride for a long time. So it kind of took away my stress reliever and it really affected my mental health a lot and I vocalized that to my boss, thankfully, and she was really understanding. And I told her, I was like, I just need to go take care of myself for a little bit because it's this making me just hate riding now that I can do it again. And this is something that I have loved and appreciated my whole life. And so I'd like to be able to do that going forward. And she was like, I totally respect that. Go take care of yourself. That's great because, you know, there's not always many people who will be that way but I I definitely I get where you're coming from there's been many of times where I've had that same thing where something's happened and I'm just like I don't I don't love it the same way or I just need to like go a little bit easier so that I can find that passion again so I get it yeah no it it can it can be tough I've uh being an amateur again and kind of stepping out of it just as a full-time job I have to be kind of careful to what degree I ride and how often I go to the barn and whatnot, because then I kind of will flip a switch and go into like my groom mode or working student mode. Mm -hmm. And then I find myself 
uh, making it a job again. And that always makes me sad because I'm like, we do this for the love of the horses. And I tell all my friends, I've only ever quit because of the people I've had to deal with, not because of the animals themselves. Oh, I can 100% agree with you. I've had similar experiences, which is, that's always a shame because it's so, people can really change things so easily and it can happen overnight and it just changes everything about the horses and the barn. So I get it. So after spending time off from your injury, you moved to California to give it one last shot at being a professional. In your eyes, how was moving to California different from Texas? You know, is it different being a young pro out there than it was in Texas? I would say yes and no. So the facility that I went to in California was incredibly well established. There were multiple different properties. They had 65 horses. And I also took on a different kind of role there than I did when I was in Houston. So there, I, well, I even inquired out of the gate. I wanted to learn more of like the business and the management Mm -hmm. side behind it. So I could kind of connect all the dots because I'm like, I can ride, I can do all the things. Not that I'm anything special when it comes to that, but I've done that for most of my life. So I want to learn a new realm of it. And so I basically, I helped the main trainer there was kind of her admin person. I helped do the lesson scheduling, the billings, and it was a lot more than you would think it would like require to run that kind of operation. But that's kind of why I stepped into it in the first place. I was the right-hand man with the vets and with the farriers and all the things for 65 horses. So I wasn't as much focused on riding out there as I was when I was in Houston, where that was my goal. I wanted to go get the exposure, build up my name and my resume and show as much as I could. So so that's what I'm saying. It's different in certain ways. And we had had certain riders that were just strictly riders. Mm -hmm. I helped some of the beginner lesson program too and I learned that's one of my favorite things in the world is teaching but yeah it's just it's different in terms of saturation of farms and it's also different because Los Angeles where I was is a desert so you learn totally like there's no turnout if you turn them out it's in a sand arena there's no grass so you learn a whole different realm of what we're used to here on the east coast and it was a lot of knowledge to consume in a very short amount of time that's for sure definitely it sounds like it but I mean you've done something that a lot of people have not done and something that I wish that I had the opportunity to do which is to put yourself into a position to go somewhere and like you said learn the business side of it I find that now that I have my own barn and things I sit back and I'm like man I wish I could figure out how xyz does this and you know how they do all this And I just don't have that experience just because I haven't been around those people. But you're very fortunate to. And you you definitely did the right thing because I wish all the time, like, man, I wish I had, like, gone somewhere and done, like, a working student position under, like, a more established barn to just see the different side. Because there's definitely different sides from your, you know, local little barn to your big name. They totally operate differently. Yeah, they do. And that's one of those things where, I mean, I interviewed with two of the nation's top farms and I had to decide between them. They were one on the East Coast up north and then one on the West Coast. And I was like, they're both super well-established. And I'm like, so 
what does it take, right? Like mm-hmm. I need to figure it out because I'm a, I'm a management degree and okay. naturally I kind of have a business brain. And if there's mm-hmm. something I've learned about horse people, they're not business people. <laughs> and so I'm like, we could use some help here. <laughs> so let's see what this, these people do and see how I can, you know, if, if I do continue to do this in the long run, how I would do it myself. There's been tons of trainers that I've had that have been like, take, like go into any new situation, wherever it is, whoever it's with, even if you're just auditing a clinic, Mm -hmm. go in with an open mind and learn the positives and negatives of everything that they're doing and take that and mold it into how you would do it yourself. So while I didn't last very long in California because of the people there, I think I lasted a whole four and a half months. Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, because I told my parents, I was like, this is my last shot. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I'm not going to do it professionally again, but I'm going to try to put myself in the best situation I can and see what I can make out of it. And it just didn't work and that's okay. But I mean, you saw the people and what you have to deal with. It's a, it's a trip. Let me tell you. I can imagine you, Hey, you lasted longer than me. I think I had one grooming experience that I went to a barn and I lasted a whole two days I think <laughs> I was oh yikes <laughs> to go for five days like just to kind of help out and it was at this upper level barn I think it was more dressage or whatever so I not a dressage person I've always done the hunter jumpers and groomed for people there but I went there because I was like you know it's like you said totally different I've never seen, never done dressage horses, just totally different. I was like, you know, these people are established. I kind of want to see how they run their program. But the people were so different. And I honestly ended up coming up and was like, hey, it's like, I'm not, I can't do it. The people were just not kind of what I want to be around. And neither were the horses. The horses were just very different than what I was used to. Like these were, these were people who were to get like the bridle on or whatever. They were like, yeah, you got to give them like 10 treats to get their head down. You know, they're like pawing back and forth in the wash racks. I was like, this is, I'm not comfortable with this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For the most part, you know, they stand there and they're like, okay, put the saddle on me. Like, let's, let's go. It's like, mm this is not not my environment so hey you lasted longer than me <laughs> <laughs> I I tell people it's just sheer willpower like at some point because I'm I'm only 26 I'm young it's whatever but like you kind of learn what you do and don't want to deal with anymore and at the end of the day you don't have to deal with any of it and I mean I go back to college and the degree and everything often, but I, there's something I'm grateful for. I'm grateful my parents made me go get a degree. Thankfully, it was a top business school. So that's nice to have on your resume because it's a fallback plan. Definitely. So hopefully, I mean, I hope you never have to get to that point where you need a fallback plan. But if you do, you're okay. You have a, you have a degree too. Well, it's in, you know, it's, it's a it's a degree with a, like quotation marks. It's a diploma oh, yeah. possibly. But no, and that's why actually it's funny you say that because that's one of the things that's pushed me to do some of the things that I would have never done before. Even with having like a barn, like, right, everyone's like, oh, you have a barn now. You've got some clients. You should be pretty much set up. And I'm like, well, you know, it's really bad to think. But people leave you like random things happen with horses I've seen like horses that are totally fine and the next day you know then we're having a conversation about putting them down or something and so there's just no guaranteed in the horse world there's not and I've learned too through 
I mean, even just those writers I told you as a kid, I would aspire to like, I've learned you don't really make money unless you start in the 1%. Yes. Because you have the name, you have the reputation, right? And so you're like, oh yeah, I trained with X, Y, and Z major barn and I've won all these things Mm -hmm. and whatever, but those people come from money for the most part. There are a few outliers, but for the most part, that's the situation. And I don't, I mean, I don't know. We live in the same area. I don't know you crazy well, but I don't think you or I came from those situations. <laughs> no, actually, before before all of this, nobody else in my family was really involved in horses. I got into horses because my brother did hippotherapy, and that pushed me to get into the horses and everything. And then, like you said, I was kind of like you to be able to pay my show bills. I groomed. Uh, I started grooming when I was like 14 or something or 13 and I groomed till I was 18 years old and that was like you know we'd go to a horse show my mother and I we worked together and we'd groom like 12 something horses and I'd have my Eck horse and then a sales horse or sales pony at the same time and it was like you know you're running up and down trying to get these people's horses ready like we do the whatever equitation challenge in the morning right 7 30 or 8 We'd have to lunge the horses, prep the horses, clean the stalls, everything done before someone comes. And I remember I would always be getting their horses ready, have them on the cross tie, tacked up, you know, everything ready to go. And then it was like, okay, now I'll get ready and I'll go down to the ring. And now I'm going to do my stuff because everyone else is done now. So, yeah, I get it. I've been in a similar position to you. It's a, it's a lot of work. It is. But, I mean, I tell you what, I, something – through like just being a working student in high school and college I mean it makes you such a hard worker like mm-hmm. the grit and the resilience that you end up building up and that you can carry on through the rest of your life is insane and it makes you grow up so fast like Definitely. when you're coming out of high school and college how do you know how to walk into a barn as a fresh face and be able to professionally have all these conversations with the clients that are already established clients mm-hmm. with your boss. I was like, like walking into Texas and having those conversations with people. I'm like, wow, okay, this is a shock. I've just been the working student kid behind the scenes, riding all the sales horses, grooming all the horses mm-hmm. at the shows. It's so different to be client facing and learning you know the filters that you need to have yes all those things it's a totally new skill set that I don't think people realize that you have to adapt no definitely I mean I turned pro pretty much I remember it kind of like you I it was the last week of GHA finals I finished up my JD pounds round and I just remember saying I was like when December 1st comes around and I'm officially like 18 it's like I'm going to turn pro (laughs) It's like, I am not waiting because I, at that point in time, I already had like clients and everything, you know, they kind of wanted to start showing the next year. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm not going to wait. I'm just going to do it. I don't want to end up in a situation where I'm taking clients somewhere and then someone's coming up to me and like, Hey, you know, you're an amateur. So I didn't want to get in that situation. So I did that, but it was a shock because I had always gone to the barn, always ridden my horses and I left. I never dealt with anybody else's stuff until I turned pro and then I had my clients and it was like you know you're scheduling everything you're talking to the farrier the vet when something goes wrong you're the person who gets called to come out and try and fix the problem you know it's a lot more put on you oh yeah it's it's a not even 24 7 it's a 25 8 kind of job like a horse gets cast at 3 a.m you've got to go handle it for whereas beforehand 
it's like, oh, maybe you'll hear about it the next day. Maybe not. It's not a huge deal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. No, same thing. I've had many instances where I get called about like horses colicking or something. And it's like, okay, we got to go get the trailer. Let's go pick up the horse, take it up to UGA. And then you're, you know, driving back and forth to UGA, however late at night. So I totally get that. So in one of my earlier episodes, I had the opportunity to interview someone who began as a young pro in Chicago, where she described her experiences up there as being a dog eat dog world. Would you agree you might have experienced a similar situation being a young pro in some of these larger show barns? Was there a particular one where you might have experienced this mentality a little bit more? I know you've talked about that. Texas also has a very wide range of barns, and I know California has some really prominent people. So kind of tell me about that. Did you ever feel like one was maybe not as inviting as the other, I guess, maybe? Yeah, so I think also just the locations and what kind of like I guess the stereotypes that come with each of those states definitely is prominent like there's a southern hospitality and how welcoming Texas was kind of similar to Georgia everybody there was really helpful I mean one of my bosses was grooming for a guy that went to the world equestrian games in 2018 and he would like teach me what he does as like some tips and tricks to like set jumps he doesn't know me he probably doesn't remember my name but that's fine. <laughs> but he was incredibly helpful. Everybody that I met in Houston was super kind and helpful. Mm -hmm. California is, I mean, it's California has its own stereotypes and things that come with it. Mm -hmm. um, I found even just within the group of girls that I work with, like, there was a lot more trash talking. There was a lot more kind of like, unfortunately, our bosses kind of pinned us against each other a little bit, too anything the mediator and the like the kindest people in California were the grooms the guys that I mean they give their blood sweat and tears to it but I mean they don't care what happens to us girls but I befriended uh well actually in a roundabout way when I was in Kentucky and I got hurt I met the California barn there that I ended up working for okay and that's kind of how I knew which barn to reach out to when I was looking again but uh, I met some of the grooms there and I already knew that I liked them and I had good camaraderie with them. And so at the end of the day, I mean, I could be friends with everyone that I worked with in Texas, but I was friends with the grooms and my manager in Cali. And it was definitely a lot more dog eat dog out there for sure. Definitely. It's so funny you say that because I feel like when I go to a new barn and the places I bordered, or even if I'm at a horse show, probably the people I talk to first are the grooms <laughs> like I, oh, totally. I befriend the grooms like even when we're at shows like going to Will's Park or whatever I don't know amazing Spanish but I try and butcher a few sentences together and I'll talk to them and then when they see me they like wave at me and stuff and I actually had one at one point in time that I was such a good friend with that he would come up to us and he'd be like do you want me to buy you tacos I was like yeah I want tacos <laughs> Please. <laughs> I mean, I had a one of those writing interviews I had in Houston. I walked into this barn and I knew it could be a different situation for me because the head trainer, he was European, he's German. And I know their communication is different than we do it in the States. But I walked in and I had known like, I want to say three of the grooms that worked there, again, through social media, all girls, and they all rode too. And one of them, the one that I didn't know, she, 
I go and like I start asking her questions. That's something I've learned to do out of the gate. Hey, do you like working here? Uh, how would you say like the what would you call it? I guess just the camaraderie between everybody is how's the culture? Mm-hmm. Does everybody get along? Are the horses nice? Are you treated well by your bosses? That kind of stuff. And she looked at me deadpan and goes, you look so excited to be here. And I'm going to tell you, he is going to shatter all of the hope that you have for being successful in this. So do not take this job if he offers it to you. And I said, okay. And that was before I even got on a horse. Wow. So I dealt with his wife when it came to the riding. She was American. She was great. She was really sweet. Mm -hmm. And basically she put me on this one horse and gave me a scenario And she said, okay, this is going to be for like a two, six pre-children's kind of kid. Go prep this horse and jump around how you would do it to prep for the show ring. And I said, okay. So I go around, do what I do. She praised me a hundred times over, gave me high fives, hyped me up for five, 10 minutes. It was a great, great situation. Mm -hmm. And so I get off that horse. I get on the next horse and it's just a horse that I'm supposed to flat. And it was the guy this time that he was just kind of keeping an eye on me. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wasn't riding the horse hard at all. I was just giving him a good flat. And I told you, I grew up eventing. So I gave him a good like dressage ride. And he looked at me and he was like, you don't need to work so hard. And like in whatever terrible <laughs> accent <laughs> and uh, was a little crass about some things that he would say, not like really ridiculing me, but just basically saying, hey, you're working too hard here. Stop trying so hard. And I was like, oh, I'm not trying hard. Yeah. I'm just going to show you what I can do. And if you like it, great. If not, okay, whatever too. But overall, the wife still complimented me. She was riding beside me. And it sucked knowing that I was like, well, I'm wasting a couple of hours here, but it's good exposure. It's good to meet people if I end up staying here. But it was hard going into riding and doing my best, knowing that I wasn't going to take mm-hmm. it. But I appreciated the honesty of the girl to be like, hey, just don't do it. He's going to crush your hopes and dreams. I'm like, OK, we'll do. I'll still go kill it anyways, though. Definitely. And that way, I mean, that's great because that way, you know, I feel like a lot of times, even when I've gone places to just look at like cleaning barns or whatever for people, you know, it's like if you go like at a boarding barn or whatever, you know, people put on a show <laughs> as bad as it sounds. Yeah. Like they're, you're trying to present it to be a specific way. And then most of the time, once you're there, once you've taken like a job or you've put your horse in that situation, it's typically very different. It's not at mm-hmm. all how it was when you first got there. So, man, I can only imagine how you felt. I probably would have been like, I'll cry some tears after. <laughs> I know. Thankfully, I was just kind of like, it's just like, you know, in Madagascar, it's like smile and wave, boys. Smile and wave as you're pulling out. (laughs) So fast forward to your time after California. You decide to return home after being a pro and you get your amateur status back. What was one of the main reasons that you decided to get your amateur status back after, you know, all of your experiences and everything? So with when I came back, I was looking for a job for about, I want to say it was like six to seven months. And I had done one other corporate America, quote unquote, job between my time in Houston and my time in California. And that was in, it's so random. It was in construction and property management for a company that builds luxury apartment complexes. So I was like, well, 
I have a couple of connections there. So I went and got a job in the commercial real estate industry for a really big company. And at the end of the day, uh, I wanted to show still. And I was riding with the barn that was allowing me to show. But I can only show during the week, still being a pro. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard with my work schedule. So my goal was to just go get my amateur status back so I can actually go show at the A shows on the weekends. Because, I mean... The short amount of time in high school that I did the hunters, it was always at the locals. And then going and seeing all the exposure I got at the A shows when I was in Houston, I learned how much better run they were. And it's still chaos, but it's laid back chaos. And so I really wanted to continue with the A shows. So in order to just keep showing in general, I had to go get it back. Definitely. You're not the first person who said that. I was talking to someone maybe a week or two ago and we were at one of the local shows at Wills Park or something, and it was a completely sold-out show. And they had been doing a little bit more of the rated and the A shows and everything. And that's one of the things they kept talking to me about. They're like, it is so chaotic here. There are so many people in these divisions. You know, like, I don't know, 25 people almost in every division. And we're trying to start at 8 a.m. and be done by hopefully 8 p.m. And she's like, mm-hmm. you know, when you go to the A shows – it's just so different. Everyone's laid back. Your classes, typically, unless, you know, you're going to, like, a national or whatever, they're not going to have, I mean, 20, 30 horses in it. She's like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like these local shows. I know. Well, I mean, the setup of them is so different, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, one show lasts five days. The other show only lasts two. So you're trying to cram everything in in two days. And I get it. But I mean, if you have the choice, though, and you have the money to go do the A's, I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna spend a little bit more for a more laid back and enjoyable experience. I'll take it. Yeah. And typically, when you're doing the A shows, you're also going to a little bit better facility, too, which I think is really important, especially if you're going out, you know, doing like maybe the adult amateurs or something when you're jumping three, three or three, six, or when you start to do the upper level jumpers. I think it's really key that you start to also think about stuff like that, not just going to anywhere just to go somewhere. Yeah. You get better courses, you get better footing, better show management, just better everything you actually get to make some of your money back which is amazing for us uh, young broke kids yes <laughs> it's great definitely I know that's my one big thing I when I declared pro and everything and now I have a hunter horse I used to not have a hunter horse I always sit back and I'm like man he really can't do because now that I'm not an adult amateur I can't do the Amis. I was like he is not green eligible like so pretty much our chance that getting some money back are the derbies and I'm not like hunters that level of hunters is still fairly new to me I did a lot of equitation but then you know the one poor thing about being a young pro as you maybe know is you're put against all the other pros (laughs) oh yeah well it's like I want to say we hit Aiken last year I was still a pro and I had to go against my own trainer in the three foot greens. I had to go against four of Daniel Geithner. Yep. And like, thankfully we weren't there the next week. That was Hunt Tosh, Tori Colvin. And I'm like, oh, I am a 20 something year old. That's just kind of like mm-hmm. flying by the seat of my pants right now. Mm-hmm. I don't want to compete against all the top names that have won all of, all of literally everything. That's not fair. So that level of hunters, I get it. It's hard, but yeah, you have to hit the greens at the minimum or the derbies as a pro in order to make any money back. Definitely. Yeah, I know. And I'm the same way. I mean, 
even when I've gone to some of the like more local stuff, I'm like, okay, I've been a pro for, let's see, I'm still very young. You think you're young? I'm 21. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm literally, I've been pro, well, see, I turned 22 in November. So we're approaching kind of four years, but you know, I didn't have all these horses growing up. I haven't been able to really go somewhere kind of like you have to ride with some of these more bigger name people. So when I go to some of these classes and do like the derbies, I'm like, well, you know, if I get around the course and get a score in the seventies or something, I'm taking that as kind of a little bit of a win. If I get higher, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And a score like 75 plus, I'm stoked. (laughs) I know. I went in and did like a local derby at one of the GHA shows. And that first round I went in and I had like an 83 and I was like, man, I'm feeling pretty good. Like, I know it's a local show, but that was a pretty nice round. I was like, all I have to do is literally keep it together. It's like, keep it together. So I'm going up by the rail, (laughs) coming down on the single little vertical, and I'm just canning up to it. And then it starts raining, and I'm like, hmm, man, I chipped so hard on that first jump. I was like, well, but at the same time, local show, I still got in the 60s and still placed third. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> little victories i tell you what they really matter yeah i still made my i think i made my derby class back like my entry fee and paid for some of my other entries so i walked out of there spending like i don't know a hundred dollars for a day or two of showing so i was like you know what that was pretty good for me <laughs> well, right, plus what the entry uh of like a national derby is 300 350 I know. You pop shit something, your score is in like the 50s. Yes. It's like, well, there goes a few hundred dollars I'm not going to make back. No, and then you've got the braiding and you've got all this type stuff. My only thing is I do wish that like at the local shows, when they do the derbies, I will admit there's one show series that they've been doing some derbies, which is the Cheryl and Co. one. And they've actually been like putting a lot of, you know, jumps and putting a little bit more technical courses. There's just really not much when you turn pro for say at like a local show to kind of do a derby type course like our hunters are you know inside outside inside outside you can't do the equitation really anymore so then your other option is to do the jumper so I wish there was more at some of these shows where you could kind of have like okay maybe there's a hunter class where you go taking your derby horse in and you can do some more of the rollbacks or maybe throw like sounds crazy I know but maybe like a two stride in a <laughs> I do actually think though I think maybe the Cheryl show two weeks ago might have had a two stride I know one ring they had like a three to three or four to four setup so I wish that some of these shows kind of prepared you better because it's a it's a rude awakening going up to those a shows sometime it is and so one barn I rode with out in Athens um, they would always go show in Conyers and so H3 Fox mm-hmm. out there they have a class that I did um and it's specifically a handy hunter class and it's a money class too but it's just one individual class you get a handy round and that's it but you actually get to do a rollback you get to do a bending line you get to do a trot jump and so like I wish more shows would implement just even that like I mean you have what your classic rounds you can even do those in like the modifieds and the opens but that's Mm -hmm. what jumping your quarter line backwards at the end of the course no yeah I mean that's basically what you're doing like it's basically they might make you jump instead of like your typical eight 
on the normal hunter, you might jump the quarter line. <laughs> like you might add That's crazy. So and I just always remember doing the local equitation when I was a junior and doing like the JD pounds and everything around here. And then when I got to the rated shows, doing the big act, let me tell you, when I went to Tryon and I think I went to one of the double A shows up there and did the big act, I think it was the McClay. I walked in that ring and it took everything in my power not to pee my pants. I was like, I don't know how to be in this class right now. Like it was such a rude awakening. Like, you know, they've got like two strides and the boxers are like long approach and really happy and big and more substance. So I was like, oh, I don't know, guys. <laughs> I know they need to help uh, prep us a little bit. That'd be that'd be appreciated, I think. Definitely. So oftentimes, I don't think people realize what is put on pros in this industry. And we've kind of heard you talk a little bit about this earlier. You know, whether they've been in it for years or just starting out, I think that whether you're a pro or an ami, you do have to love horses and you do have to enjoy them. But with the stress and workload of being a pro, running a business and barn and trying to stay afloat and keep clients happy, it's easy for those feelings to be overshadowed by things like stress, doubt, or just being plain exhausted it's easy to become disconnected from the reasons why we decided upon this path as somebody who has experienced both sides as an amateur and as a pro and now back to an amateur <laughs> did your thoughts on riding change when you went from being an ami to a pro or vice versa do you feel like you have more opportunities to enjoy horses and riding now that you're back to being an ami or was it different did you love it more as being a pro kind of tell me about that so I think I I would personally enjoy it more as an Ami because I can just do what you did, roll up to the barn, ride a horse or two, and then leave. And whether or not it was a good ride, I mean, that'll affect your mood a little bit, of course. But otherwise, I can go and focus on work during the day and say I've had a stressful day. I come out there. I was just recently leasing a horse for a bit, so I'd go see my little lease horse, and I would ride her, be happy, go get drinks and dinner with my friends afterwards and then go home it was awesome versus when you're a pro I I don't know if you do this too I naturally put pressure on myself when I'm riding somebody else's horses especially if you're prepping them for a show or mm -hmm. say the client just had a bad lesson on them the other day and then you have to go fix everything uh, I definitely like I still love the horse as a gen like general kind of concept of course but riding within itself definitely became a lot more stressful when I did it as a professional. Definitely. Uh, no, I 100% agree. These are very true feelings that I have had. And that's why I wanted to ask you with becoming a pro. Like I remember during my junior years when it was more like working student and like, oh, look, someone needs a horse to be ridden. Like I'll go ride the horse, you know, all that type stuff. And definitely has changed as being a pro because in your mind too, right? You're thinking, okay, my client had a bad ride. The horse did something wrong. They had a bad lesson. What's that going to cause? Like, is this going to be something that maybe makes them kind of sit back and go, okay, well, maybe this program's not working. Like, there's a lot more pressure that, like, the little bad things, your mind kind of starts building them up to be bigger than they might actually be. Oh, totally. And, like, you have to make your living off of having basically successful rides and successful lessons with everybody. And I mean, unless you have like great financial support from like family or whatnot, 
I was just one where I was like, I'm getting out of Georgia, screw this place. And I just went somewhere else. And I was like, I'm just going to do it on my own. All my bills are my own now. And so thankfully I had a salary that saved me. But I mean, if you don't and say you're just a pro rider and you're like a show rider and you bounce back and forth and you're just like relying on catch rides, mm-hmm. I mean, hopefully they're going to pay you regardless. But I mean, say they didn't, yeah. then you don't get to make any of your money. You don't get to pay your bills. You Maybe you can eat later today. But I don't think people realize like just the toll that the pressure that we put on ourselves, let alone the clients put on you takes on on you as like a person definitely i i could i can tell you many of times because this will be so november end of november i think like the day after thanksgiving i opened up my barn like i went to thanksgiving with my uh folks up in south carolina drove back that night and was like throw the shavings in the stall <laughs> it was like oh, <laughs> coming tomorrow so i think i opened mine the day after thanksgiving and wow yeah not this not the best idea because I also <laughs> the worst time of year to open up a barn because we had been living at this property for a little bit. And I was like, man, my pastures are beautiful. I'm like, gosh, look at that grass. Like, gorgeous. My barn was brand new. I was like, this is so pretty. And then I had all these horses come in uh, winter time in Georgia where it rains 24-7 some days. And I'm like just sitting there watching like my pastures get torn up, everything get torn up. My ring was new. My ring was getting torn up. Like, I can't tell you how many times I would go out in my pastures. They would get torn up. I'm out there with my little, uh, my little shovel trying to fix the holes from them running. And I'm just crying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is really like, I, it was kind of a moment where I was like, this is what I've decided for my life. <laughs> like, and- oh, yeah. There's times like I'll be like, oh, today was such a nice day. Like I'll be able to, you know, have just an easier day. And then the next day a horse acts bad or, you know, something goes wrong. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, geez, I just, if every day was like this, I don't know if I could push through it and do it. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Uh, I joke with my dad. I'm like, look, a lot of old horse trainers are very crotchety and um, Mm -hmm. very angry most days. And experiencing what I have even just in the short amount of time I was a pro I get why I was like I don't want to end up like that like that's not the life for me I don't think no it's funny because I a lot of people know me as being a pretty like upbeat bubbly person and stuff and I I try to be to the best of my ability but we, we all have our times I definitely have my times and as I've kind of been in this a little bit more, some of my clients are like, well, I always thought you were happy. I'm like, no, now I see you 24-7. So you're just kind of seeing like me kind of coming to terms with reality. I used the same thing. I was like, man, all these horse trainers, they're always so mean. I'm like, I know some they'd be like, oh, I got to go take my happy pills. I was like, who needs happy pills? And now sometimes I'm like, huh. <laughs> that's an idea <laughs> oh my gosh I know well it's crazy seeing and on the topic of happy pills the uh the substance abuse that some oh, of these gosh. people go through it's that's a whole can of worms yes but uh yeah sometimes just to like make it through the day seeing what some people do I'm like I imagine being reliant on that like I feel like my mental health is so much better not being a pro and like I ran into um, one of my old Houston bosses when I was at Weco Cala a couple of months ago. And I told her, I was like, man, I go back and forth all the time. Like, 
I think I could be really successful if I did go pro and just committed and just dove right mm-hmm. into it. But um, I think I would still kind of question like, what if, yeah. if I didn't do it full time, you know? And she was like, if there's ever any doubt in your mind, then you shouldn't do it full time because it never stops. It never shuts off. Your phone is blown up constantly every single day and you have to commit to it for the sake of the animal and just for yourself too, because it, I mean, that's all you're going to have after that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to take uh, the fact that I'm second guessing everything and just stay an amateur. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, like I pretty much, I've, because my barn is at my house, it's like, I live at my barn, which, you know, when I decided to, when we decided to do all this, I had some trainer and she was, she was not very, not the nicest words I would say, but she was like, you're going to regret having the barn at your house. You're going to regret it. You're going to hate it. I was like, how could you hate it? Like, you know, the barn's right at your house. And some days I sit back and I'm like, the barn is right at my house. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. it's very hard to disconnect yourself. Like, just because, you know, when you are a pro, it's like your whole, everything you do is dedicated towards this. So for me, like a good day or like a day where I'm having fun is literally like I do the barn, I get everything done, horses are good, and I go out and I go out to eat. Like to me, that's like a I'm leaving my house. <laughs> that doesn't happen right. very often. So it's it's hard. But I want to ask you because this is actually something I've wondered. So how long, if I'm not mistaken, Yusuf, before a certain age, when you go back to try and get your AMI status, it's less time. Is that right? I've known some people like I think like in their 40s or 50s it takes them like a lot longer um to get their AMI status back but it sounds like you got yours pretty quickly so how long did it take you so they just put out a new rule um okay where you can only have to wait three months oh wow if you're between the ages of I want to say it's 18 to 25 if I'm not mistaken And thankfully, I'm 26, but because my birthday is in December, December, well, it's on Christmas, Mm. my show year is a year behind. Oh, you're lucky. So I got real lucky. And so normally, yeah, you wait a year. And I was on, I want to say like month nine or 10. And then that rule came out. And I was like, ooh, time to get this letter written, get it notarized, get my other two letters and so I didn't have to wait the full year. But yeah, it's three months now. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, I remember always seeing that. Like, I've known some people who have gone like really back and forth between AMI, pro, AMI, pro. Like, I swear they're AMI. And then the next time I see them, they're pro. And then I swear the next time they're AMI. And I'm like, come on, guys, I feel like we should all just, if you're going that switchy switchy, you just got to commit to one thing or another. But I always wondered about that time thing. Because, I mean, what are you supposed to do? If you're <laughs> waiting a year or two. I know. It's like, well, you can ride, but you just can't take any money for it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but even with the new rules, they've they've said that you can accept a certain amount of money as an amateur, like a couple of hundred bucks, maybe a year okay, and still be considered an amateur, which is a strange rule. But they also just made a new one where now as an amateur I want to say you can lunge horses for people where I guess you technically couldn't before without being considered a pro that's that's very interesting I was gonna say because I can think of so like if you're just sitting here I can think of so many people (laughs) who I know who would have broken a rule like that like that's insane 
Yeah, and it's one of those, like, unless you read the fine print, you don't know it exists kind of rules. But if someone's feeling extra petty one day, you're going to wish you read the fine print, I suppose. I know that's exactly one of the reasons why when I turned 18, I was like, I just, I knew it was kind of what I was going to do. And I was having sales horses. I was like, I don't want to get in a situation where, like, somebody's trying to be whatever, which way. And then I'm I'm the one getting screwed, not them, because ultimately you'd be the one getting in trouble. So I was like, just just sign the papers. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> but, check the box. <laughs> I know, literally, on new stuff, I think it's like, you check the box and you just type in your name. Boom, you're a pro, which is uh, I have my own thoughts on that. I wish there was, <laughs> I wish there was more. And I'm saying this as someone who was a young pro and did it very quickly. I have times, many times, where I kind of like sat back, like, man, I wish I waited. But I wish it was. You hear all the time in like Europe how it's so different to the United States. Like, you know, we just go on USAF, we check the box, boom, pro. Europe, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, there's a lot more testing you know you got to go through a lot more stuff to be considered a pro over there which I think would be so nice to have over here in the states oh totally because I mean yeah it's literally on you stuff you just check a box and you type your name for a digital signature and you're a pro and I'm like who allowed these people to be a professional Mm. and like why are people paying them to take care of their horses like they look some of them look what emaciated yeah some of them uh, and the jumpers will jump out of the covered oh, yeah. ring at Wolf's Park. <laughs> um, it's crazy. But I, you could for sure benefit from some actual, uh, needing some qualifications or even just some form of testing to know that you're not going to kill a horse. Definitely. Uh, whether it be on accident or on purpose, um, to be a pro. Definitely. No, I sit back and I'm like, I try and actively wish this could be a whole nother topic, but I feel like it maybe. Well, you've been you did the pro stuff for a little bit, but I think with you would be different. I feel like a lot of times, just with the circle that I've been, the people I go to a lot of shows and just sit back and I watch. I literally get there early before my client shows and I just watch everything. But I find that a lot of people don't seem to once they become a pro, they don't really seem to do anything after that to kind of further their knowledge. At least with the people mm-hmm. I see, like it's very much like, oh, I'm a pro. I don't need to you know, go clinic. I don't need to have a trainer. Like I don't need all this type of stuff where I'm like, Hey, if I can clinic with someone and my horse is down, he's not right now. But like if I can clinic with someone, I'll do it. Or if like someone wants to train me, like I bring trainers in and let my clients ride with them too. I'm like, whatever. I don't care. Like it's the more I can learn, the better. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those sports where you literally never stop learning. Like mm-hmm. there's 60 ways to do one thing and everyone has a different take on something everyone has their own input and kind of like what I was saying earlier like I've always been encouraged to go ride with whomever mm-hmm. and learn literally anything that you can from them whether it's negative or positive and I love going and riding with other people and like my friends will bring me out to their barn and be like hey can you sit on my event horse and I'm like yeah sure what do you want me to do with it and they're like I don't know take it over what would you consider a hunter course and I'm like what wh- why do you want me to do that and they go well I have a hard time keeping a consistent rhythm like just going slow over oh, yeah. a course of jumps and I want to see if my horse can do it and I like I just start dying laughing and I'm like, okay. And I go and do it. And they're like, wow, it is possible. But man, you've got to get trained differently than the way they train us. And I'm like, I guess if counting one, two, one, two is like (laughs) a different form of training, whatever it takes, I guess. But I mean, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I love riding with other people and sitting on all the different horses. That's why I've loved being a working student and groom my whole life, just because, I mean, the more versatile you can be, I think the more successful you'll be at the end of the day. Definitely. I mean, I rode a lot of horses during my junior career that like, I had one of my people I had my horses at for a long time, like she would literally call me up, which is probably maybe maybe you had the uh, opportunity not to ride horses like this. But she'd be like, hey, Carrie, I just got something from the auction. And I, would you come sit on it? Or like somebody just gave me this horse for free. Nobody's ridden on it for like two or three years. Like, I don't even know if it can be ridden. Will you come sit on it? And I was like, uh-huh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're the, we're the test dummies. <laughs> like, got it from auction, and you could barely put a halter on it. But you want me to ride it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know I haven't experienced the auction one, but I have experienced like a horse hadn't it's broke, and someone's ridden it like a couple of times, but he hasn't been sat on in a year. You want to go like hop on and see what you can make of it? And I'm like sure I guess and it was actually an opportunity I got when I was at a uh, Kennesaw State and okay. I was riding for two barns at the time that thing turned out to be one of the coolest horses and best jumpers I have ever ridden in my entire life but I took a dressage whip in each hand uh, and I walked on the lunge line for a long time because he didn't know what your leg was mm. and then when I finally got taken off the lunge line I was like oh boy fasten our seatbelt here we go and just start kicking just like tap on with each whip when necessary and so it went from doing that to like schooling almost a meter 20 at home wow. within like a year but I, the talent was there but I mean hey if we if we're the human punching bags if we can just get on and like put our determination uh our best foot forward in that way oh, we can make something we can make it happen Geez, I wish I had that opportunity. I had uh, one person called me out for this pony, and they are like, hey, will you come ride this pony or whatever? Didn't have a ring. Didn't have a barn. Just in the pasture. It's like, okay. They're like, it's been ridden. Like, super sweet pony. They didn't show up. They didn't have the tack. So I brought tack, and I'm getting on this pony, and I'm sitting here looking at it, and I'm like, mm, I'm just – I'm not getting a good feeling. So my mother was with me at the time, and, she, you know, she's – She's not the most comfortable around horses. She's had some experiences with a horse, like, breaking her hand and stuff. So she's she's very wary of them. And I'm like, just, I'm going to put this lunge line on it, and I'm going to tack it up, and I'm going to get on it. It's like, but I want you to hold it. And then that way, if the lunge line's there, if it decides to do anything, we've got something. Because I had right. WD on it. So I was like, mm, this is a little small pony, like, I don't know, 12, 12 hands or something. And my God. I got on that sucker, and before my butt hit the saddle, I was off that sucker. <laughs> <laughs> it reared up on me and spun, and I got kicked in the leg. I'm, like, screaming at my mother. I'm, like, hold on to the lunge line. She just drops it. And I'm, like, there it is, <gasps> running around <laughs> the pasture with my CWD sliding. And I was, like, this is the day I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> nightmare fuel oh my gosh I was about to say aren't you so glad you had a lunge line well it didn't really matter did it <laughs> yeah and I sat I mean I spent there it was also really wooded where we were trying to do it and it just kept running and running and I at the point like I think I just sat on the ground it almost threw me off into the fence and I just sat there and I watched it I was like you know what at least it's getting some type of workout in and then the fun <laughs> afterwards i called the person and i was like look i was like you said xyz this is what happened i was like you know um 
it's like it's probably not going to be the best fit unless you send it somewhere with an actual barn in a ring that I can work it in and they're like eh. and I was like you know you still need to pay me never paid me I was like uh-huh. you oh <laughs> you take advantage of the eager young person yeah it's like I got thrown off and kicked for this and you didn't even pay me uh, I was so mad. It's so rude. So I have a few quick questions for you. They don't have to be quick. I say this all the time. You'd be surprised. They sometimes don't turn out being too quick. But what are some memories that stand out to you most so far during your career, whether they were during, you know, your junior time, your Amy time, or pro time? Um, I would say, honestly, some of the scores that I've gotten at horse shows, mm-hmm. like even just at local shows, mid to high 80s doing IHSA I got a 98 one time that was amazing I don't know if I deserved it I mean it was just a simple round but I'll take it right um and kind of on the opposite end of that when I was in California just some of the celebrities that I taught how to ride and got to meet was insane like a-list a-list celebrities and we were on their social media and everything we got paparazzi'd it was just like a very unique, one-of-a-kind experience. Yeah, sounds like it. I, I don't think there's too many paparazzi people down here in Georgia. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's so funny. The first time you experience it, you're like, how do I handle this situation? Uh-huh. <laughs> but, I mean, whenever we would schedule the lesson, we knew that the paparazzi would follow them. So my manager, he would move whatever trucks and trailers he needed to block anywhere with the ring uh-huh. because mm-hmm. well, we were in a neighborhood, so like you could see anywhere. And he would try to block it as best as he could, but uh, sometimes we failed and we still got paparazzi. But that was definitely different. Yeah, it sounds like it. So I feel, I know I'm going to ask this question. I already pretty much know the answer after hearing you speak. But do you ever see yourself going pro again or do you think you'll retain your Amy status? I don't see myself going pro. However, I'll tell you, my goal is to be like a Dr. Betsy Parker, kind of like really cool owner and give someone like you or I the opportunity to ride some really, really nice horses one day. Hey, that's great because I know there's so many people out there that are just waiting to kind of have that little extra push to really set them up. So that would be amazing. Yeah, so that's that's definitely a goal. I love that. And uh, hopefully I can do it. I mean, I have a couple of connections that would kill for me to go do investment horses for them and whatnot. But um, I just know doing it full time again, I'm like, I just, I can't do that to myself. (laughs) Yeah. And it's hard too, because I feel like most of the time when we're shopping for investments, at least nowadays, the typical investment horse, I feel like is something that you're buying in Europe. So it's that whole process of kind of importing. I don't hear too many people buying many investment horses that are American bred. Um, I know a lot of ponies that are starting to be like they buy for that are American bred and everything. But even then importing ponies, is this like massive thing now. Yeah. It's all going to be reliant on Europe. And then with the current economy and whatnot, mm-hmm. based on the monetary conversions, it just makes more sense to go over there. Yeah, recently during uh, COVID or whatever, or when this, ex- the, you know, everything's been so weird. I had somebody, she was like, Oh my gosh, the Europe dollar is the same as the American dollar. So if you go buy the $60,000 Euro pony, it'll be 60000 I was like, thanks. Uh, yeah, that, that really, <laughs> like, that makes a difference. <laughs> no, totally. As long as it says Euro, that's all. That's it. We're good. Yeah. So what is your favorite horse that you have ridden and why? I know that you have ridden 
many, many horses because I actually have photos from when I used to do like photography and stuff. So this must have been when I was like 15, probably 15, 16 of you on this like massive dark bay gelding at Wills Park doing the schooling hunter. So I know you've- That's the one I was telling you about that I wrote with the two dressage books. Oh, really? Yeah, because I yeah. have photos and I just remember- so I was looking through them recently because they're on my computer and everything. And I'm like, okay, so there's Riley. And I was like, I know this horse because it had the cutest face ever. I think it's like little ears turned in a little bit, but it was that big dark bay gelding. So yep. what is your favorite horse that you've had the opportunity to ride? I think it's actually one I sent you photos of. He's a bay thoroughbred gelding jumper. He was a client or he owned, or he was owned by a client in Houston that we had. And I got the really lucky opportunity to show him because him and my boss, I guess, didn't really mesh very well. But his name is Ghost. His show name is Little Black Dress. And he was just a like a kick ass. Just he wasn't like a spitfire kind of jumper, but he knew his job. Like, I wish I'd had him two years prior and he'd probably be doing like the meter 20 as like a 15 two, 15 three little horse. And um, it was really cool because I got like a first taste of like actual proper jumpers at an A show on this horse. Um, the owner would have me go do like the meter five on him. And that's a really competitive division, at least at the shows Oh yeah, uh, that we did down in Katy at great Southwest. And mm-hmm. there were like 25 people in each class. And I remember all week we'd gotten like second and like third, but I just couldn't break the barrier to get first. And finally on the last day we had our speed class and okay I have a video of this and I won this class by nine seconds and oh my god oh no let me tell you I didn't go like super hard trying to go fast but ghost was so cool because he was so little and he was so handy if you ride it like an equitation course you go fast Mm -hmm. and his stride was big too so I I think he's probably my favorite by far I've just won a lot of stuff on him and like just the personality of him we mesh really 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 well and he was one of those where like you love a good thoroughbred oh yeah and he just had a heart of gold that's so funny you say that because I always tell my clients all the time like you do not have to ride these jumper courses like you see people do at the lower jumpers flying like if you put in like a solid if you ride it like an eck round with like a good pace and you keep the rails up you will place <laughs> like yeah you'll place higher than you think oh, yeah. too. i mean because half the time some of those people that are like flying like just making you kind of sit back and like close your eyes because you can't watch them like you know they're they have to go the outside tracks they usually take some rails down with them like just ride it like an egg horse and trust me you'll still place like <laughs> uh you don't have to fly you like seriously a horse jumped out of the wills park covered arena in the jumpers because he was going so fast the rider couldn't stop it like it's scary it's scary i know i i can't watch the lower jumpers even sometimes i'll watch the upper jumpers and i'm like guys <laughs> it's meter 10 let's not run at it <laughs> like i don't know we don't need to be taking the jumps three strides out like it gives me heart attacks i'm like oh, no way no way i'm out <laughs> so last question i have for you is where do you see yourself in 10 years i think well let's see hopefully married by then i've told myself jokingly i'll either have kids or horses both are really expensive so i need to commit to one or the other but i've 
for sure I want to be on the track to do that cool owner role and then like ride for fun on this side like go Mm -hmm. be like I love kind of dubbing myself as like a professional amateur you know and so I want to go do that and hopefully be in the jumpers I I love the hunters to some degree but I think jumpers is where my heart lies but I'd love to give a very deserving teenager some cool opportunities in the next 10 years wow that's that is an amazing plan to have and I know that if you can do that someone is going to be a very lucky person Thanks. I would have killed for that opportunity as uh, a teenager. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. I'm in the same boat. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and talk. I think that we've offered many different sides to some of these questions. And I told you that I knew when it was time to record this, it was going to be long. And I could still talk for a long time about <laughs> some of this stuff. But I want to say a big thank you again for coming and, you know, taking time out and helping support me as I try and, you know, figure out all this fun little podcast stuff. So thank you. Of course. And I hope that if anybody ever has any questions about this kind of stuff, I'm an open book and anybody is more than welcome to come ask if they have anything. I'm happy to help out wherever I can. There you go. See, now you can uh, spam her little little DMs or whatever on Instagram because she said that. <laughs> go for it. Let, let, hit me with your best shot. I'll do it. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I want to say a huge thank you again to Riley for taking some time out of her schedule to come on the podcast and talk to me. I had a lot of fun recording this episode and there's a lot that we talked about that didn't even make the podcast just because I could literally talk to her for hours. So if you guys enjoyed this podcast episode, make certain to leave a review or a rating or something on Apple Podcasts. All that does is help get the podcast out there, which in turn will allow us to get some more guests on here. As well, make certain to check out the travelingpony.com and you can see blogs and everything, sometimes recaps of the episodes in the podcast that I do and you can see pictures and get a little bit more insight into these people's lives. As well, I'm going to try to the best of my ability to make separate blog posts and maybe recaps and everything. As well, if you go on the website, you'll be able to see blog posts that were dedicated to Sloan recovering from his keratoma surgery and a lot of other fun stuff and pictures and just, I go a little bit deeper into my life on some of the blog posts. So if you want to check it out, make certain to go to thetravelingpony.com and maybe I'll figure out how to link some stuff and, you know, get some more things going on over there. But again, thank you so much for all of your support and thank you again to Riley and I hope to see you guys in the next episode. The question is, where's the traveling pony going to be next? <laughs>